listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for spending some time this hour. Coming up, your calls. Andy, should he stay or should he go? New Ipsos polling shows how many Canadians think Andrew Scheer should stay in the top job and how many think he should move on and the Conservatives should replace him. Your calls coming up in just a couple of moments. But let's begin with Presto, shall we? Are you a transit user? Do you use the Presto system? Because it's a debacle. It's an embarrassment what this province has done, what the government in this province has done by deciding that, and this was under the Liberals now, keep in mind, that we're going to build this own system instead of buying technology off the shelf that we could have done long ago, but now still it continues to be a problem. We had an Auditor General report this week, the auditor from the City of Toronto saying that they're failing at higher rates than previously reported and that Metrolinx has made unauthorized withdrawals from a TTC bank account and there are gaps in the management of the electronic fare card system. They don't know how many fares go through on certain days. It's impossible to actually say how much money Toronto's transit agency is losing as a result of all of this. You know that the TTC estimates that faulty Presto devices cost the agency $3.4 million last year? And now the new report coming out this week says it doesn't appear that that number is inflated. In fact, it may be understated. We may be losing a lot more money. Here is John Tory talking about the problem with Presto. The situation with Presto has been improving slowly, uh, but it is nowhere near where it has to be for an organization uh, to which we send tens of millions of dollars every year. Uh, And uh, it's not just about the money, it's also about the convenience for our passengers. So if I said to you that I was dissatisfied with things like the fact that the coin boxes get full and then the machines cease to function, or that uh, more often than not these machines are not as reliable, I I will accompany that by saying the reliability has been improving. The reliability has been improving, but it's more than just the money. I would say it's mainly about the money. Yes, convenience is important. We were promised that this system would have been working long ago, and it is not. Meanwhile, at City Hall today, people upset with the proposed Ontario line. This is the new deal between the city and the province to build this new line especially people who live in the Leslieville area who are looking forward to the prospect of a line going above ground right through their neighborhoods, talk of homes being taken, of uh, properties being purchased, of all kinds of impacts that we just simply don't know what it's going to be like for people who live in that part of the city. And then there's the NIMBY deal. Should we have people in a dense portion of the city be able to stop a line that the rest of the city needs? Here's John Tory defending the deal with the province. We have hammered out an agreement with the province that puts us on the right track and does so in a way that is fair to the city and to its residents. The agreement will ensure that the city retains ownership of the existing subway network. There will be no upload. The TTC retains operations of the transit network, which within the context of an integrated system was also important to us. 
That is John Tory talking this morning and right now in council chambers, or pardon me, not in council chambers, but it is an executive council meeting with deputations, and there are a number of deputations underway right now with people saying that we should not be doing this Ontario line. We're going to keep an eye on that, but now time for your calls. Should Andy stay or go? Andrew Shear. Obviously, he did not be able, he's not prime minister. He didn't get it done. Does that mean that the conservatives should think about replacing him? 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. A couple of quick calls here. Should Andy stay or go? Now, the conservative party may have captured more seats. They may have won the popular vote. But according to a poll conducted exclusively for Global News by Ipsos, held on Election Day, this was exit polling, pardon me, the poll showed that 63% of voters say, sheer if he didn't win a majority, now these are people on their way out of voting now, saying, if he didn't get it done, he should resign. Here's Mr. Shear's response to that. I am, uh, I, uh, yes, I am staying as leader of the party. Uh, we obviously uh, are very happy with the many aspects of the campaign. Uh, we, uh, we obviously wished we uh, had better results, but we point to the fact that we won the popular vote. That is Andrew Shear speaking yesterday, saying he's not going anywhere. Keep in mind, you may think that Mr. Shear should go, but keep in mind this is a minority government. And minority governments generally only last about two, two and a half years, sometimes less than that. Can the Conservatives really afford to not have a leader during that time? Because that's what it would require. First of all, Mr. Shear does not sound like he's just going to go voluntarily. So that means you got to have the leadership review. Then he's got to lose that or not get enough support there. Then you have to have actually a leadership and all of that. And that will be a point when you just won't have a leader in the House, when many Canadians want an opposition, a strong opposition, to Justin Trudeau and Jugmeet Singh. Your call's coming straight up, but first, I wanted to play this because Mike LeCouture from Global National, God bless him, one more haymaker here from Mike to Andrew Scheer. Mike Lucatur from Global National. You had a prime minister who was facing an SNC-Lavalin scandal, two ethics violations, and blackface, brownface incident. How did you not unseed Justin Trudeau? As I said, you know, uh, just a few years ago, people were already giving him two majority terms. But you didn't unseed him this time. People were already giving him uh, two majority terms. They were writing off uh, the the 2019 and some even the 2023 election. Uh, Well, we now know that uh, the next election will will likely come much, much sooner than that. We made incredible gains last night. Do you agree with Mr. Shear there? By the way, Mike LeCouture, another haymaker. Hey, how'd you screw this up, Andy? That's essentially what that question is. Hey, how'd you blow that one? Your calls here. Let's go to Niagara. And do you think Andrew Scheer should resign or should he stay on as leader of the Conservative Party? Hey, um, you know what? This isn't a sheer failure. This is a conservative failure. Um, The party itself, they didn't learn anything from the Hudak experience, although I liked them. Um, this is just the, this is just uh, a repeat of uh, the culture and the conservatives in the way that they, they they're they're throwing their leader out there. 
Chris, you, you, you mentioned Hudak because I want to go to that. Uh, I want to talk about that. Obviously, Mr. Hudak came up short against Mr. McGinty. They had a minority situation. He survived as leader and then had a disastrous outing the second time around uh, against Kathleen Wynne. Do you think that the federal conservatives should learn from that and change jockeys? I, absolutely. I mean, this, again, I, I didn't want to see it that way, but it seems to me federal and, and provincial didn't kind of get together and, and, and compare their culture and say, here's what we got to produce for Canada. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Let's go to uh, Pat. Pat, Andy, should he stay or should he go? I think he should stay, and I think they should get a more experienced campaign manager or team because they screwed up. How did they screw up? But usually that, you know, that falls on the leader. The leader wears it. Yeah, well, they, they, you know what? It was all about, oh, Trudeau did this. Oh, this person's bad. That person's bad. Talk about your policies. Talk about how they're going to get paid for. We heard none of that. It, it's ter- it, it disheartens me. I'm right into the politics of, of the country and uh, the province and everything, and it, it's disheartening to see these leaders and what they do. they, they got to educate themselves. Let's talk about policy. All Where right, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, because we're talking specifically about Mr. Shear and whether he should stay or go. And I take your point about yeah. it being a party issue and maybe a campaign management issue. Yeah. But I remember that Mr. Shear, now Mr. Shear is a social conservative, and he was brought to power by social conservatives. Is that a problem for the party? Should they replace him with something, somebody more centrist, more of a, a red Tory that doesn't have the SOCON baggage that obviously Mr. Shear was, was unable to deal with during this campaign? Um, I, I think he should stay. I just think he was advertised incorrectly. He, he wasn't he was played very meek and mild. I mean, I heard people say, oh, you can't trust him. Why can't you trust the guy? What has he done? You know, I think he, he's got to bring out his strong leadership. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Uh, David. I want to come to you in Hamilton. Uh, David, what do you think? Do you think Andy should stay or go? I think he should stay, and I agree it was a problem with with the party and not not him. I think they should have used Mike, um, sorry, Doug Ford to their advantage. (laughs) Pick Uh, your conservative premier. (laughs) Yeah, you think think Dofo would have been an asset out in the campaign? Oh, I think so, and especially if you were to just say the only reason that I'm premier is because you hate the liberals. Don't forget how much we hated the liberals two years ago. Yeah, but we I, the poll says we hate Doug Ford now. Sure, he doesn't have a great rating, but he still has 30% of the population that, that support him. He's not, per, he's not my perfect choice. He, I'd rather have voted for a rock than Doug Ford, but he was the only choice. <laughs> well, this is, I think this is—I think this is what the federal conservatives wondered about: is like, well, wait a second, you're going to bring this guy out, and then people are going to go, "Well, I, I would have voted for a rock," and then you know, I, I don't know if that would have worked at the end of the day. We got to let you go. Thank you so much. That is really interesting. Just a quick uh, tidbit there, quick quick roundup of whether people think that Andrew Shear should stay or go. <laughs> A tragic and horrifying story unfolding in the UK where the bodies of 39 people have been found in a tractor trailer in Essex. Redmond Shannon is a global national reporter and joins me on the line. Hi, Redmond. Hello, Alan. What do we know so far? What are police saying? 
Well, what we know is that at around 1.40 a.m. local time this morning, ambulance services got a call to come to this industrial park in Grays, England, which is about 30 kilometers east of London. When they arrived, they found this uh, container truck uh, with 39 people in the back of it and all 39 were dead and uh, we believe that 38 were adults and one of them was a teenager. Police were then obviously called to the scene and when they arrived here they arrested the 25 year old driver of the truck and arrested him on suspicion of murder but he has not yet been charged and therefore has not been named. We know he's a 25 year old man from Northern Ireland. So police spoke a short time ago and said that they weren't able to say very much yet about um, where these people came from. In fact, we do not know where these people came from originally, but the police say that this truck originated in Bulgaria and entered the UK on Saturday via the port of Holyhead. Now that is uh, quite interesting because we are currently in the southeast of England, not too far from the port of Dover, a couple of hours, which is directly across the English Channel, the normal entry route for any traffic coming from continental Europe. However, the port of Holyhead is on the other side, the western side of the UK and northwest Wales, and that indicates that the truck would have come here via Ireland, and that would be a very indirect route. So if this is as is appearing to be, as is suspected perhaps, uh, people smuggling human trafficking operation, then perhaps the high security uh, levels that you see at the Port of Dover for this uh, were trying to be circumvented. That is if this is what, what happened, but all things, Alan, are pointing to this potentially being a tragic, uh, a, a tragic outcome after a, a potentially a case of human trafficking. Redmond, you, you mentioned the person who is of interest, a 25-year-old man from Northern Ireland. Do we have any more details on him? No, we don't know anything more about him um, because he has not been charged, so therefore uh, no name has been released. Um, police uh, were not giving very much away at all when they spoke um, a short time ago. Deputy Police Chief Constable uh, Pippa Mills from Essex Police um, put out the call to anyone who might know anything about this, um, but gave those basic details um, about uh, where the truck originated from and the basic details about the driver, but that is all we know. But one thing we, we can perhaps surmise is that these people are most likely not from Bulgaria originally because Bulgaria is part of the European Union and anyone from Bulgaria can freely work and travel to the UK. So perhaps these people are from elsewhere, but we as yet do not know where these people are from and we do not know how or when they died. Redmond Shannon, a global national reporter, covering this tragic story unfolding at this hour in the UK. Thank you, Redmond. Thank you. Just an absolutely horrifying story that continues to develop. Stay with Global News for the latest on the situation and updates coming out of England. Last night at the Raptors game, interesting situation out front as protesters or demonstrators with T-shirts saying stand for Hong Kong. We're handing out thousands of free T-shirts. I was there for Global News coverage last night. I can see a lot of people you know, going and actually getting the, pic, the, the T-shirts and actually putting them on and going into the stadium with them on. I can tell you that at least one point, 
There were pictures of people in the shirts in the stadium on the giant jumbotron. So that message did resonate, and the security at the stadium, MLSE, has obviously decided that, well, there's really nothing you can do about it, and those T-shirts were allowed. We talked yesterday in the program about how signs are not allowed at NBA games. Any kind of a political message is grounds for removal from a game. But last night, they allowed the T-shirts in there, both uh, demonstrations here in Toronto and also in Los Angeles. A lot of people talking about those rings today. And did you hear this, that Drake got a ring, but that wasn't quite good enough for him? So he decided that he'd get his own custom ring, a second ring. TMZ Sports uh, learning that Champagne Poppy not only got the official ring that the Raptors gave him, but also he hit up somebody known Jason of Beverly Hills. He just You have a first name when you're a jeweler, jeweler in Beverly Hills. Uh, and he got himself his own ring, and this piece is incredible. It has 30 carats of diamonds, uh, and uh, Jason telling TMZ that Drake had, quote, Drake had me fly to Turks and Caicos for an emergency design meeting. More tune for your head top, so watch how you speak on my name, you know? <laughs> oh, I wish just for a day I could be Champagne Poppy. Just... A day, I would just hang out in my sweet pad up there in Toronto, shoot some hoops, wear my giant 30-carat diamond ring beside my other giant, what is it, 16-carat in the other one? What was that? Yep. 16 rubies on the outside of it. That's the one that uh, Kyle Lowry and the rest got. Are you watching any of the baseball Because I'm wondering what you think about the Astros and about this story. The Nationals leading 1-0 in the World Series after winning last night. But there is a bigger story afoot. And that is that the assistant general manager of the Astros has now apologized for using, quote, inappropriate language after a Sports Illustrated report that said he repeatedly yelled toward a group of female reporters about closer Roberto Osuna during a clubhouse celebration. Brandon Taubman releasing that statement through the Astros just a couple of hours before Game 1 against Washington yesterday. And Major League Baseball now says it's going to interview those involved before further comment. Here's what happened. It happened after the Astros clinched the AL pennant. And Taubman reportedly referenced Asuna, who was suspended for 75 games last year for violating Major League's domestic violence policy before being traded from Toronto to the Astros. According to Sports Illustrated, what Taubman shouted was, quote, Thank God we got Asuna and made similar remarks several times, punctuating them with an expletive. And on Monday night, after the Sports Illustrated story was published, the Astros, and this is interesting, the Astros put out a statement, said, It is misleading, and completely irresponsible. The team said Sports Illustrated tried to, quote, fabricate a story where one does not exist, and said that Taubman's comments were not directed at reporters. Well, once other reporters substantiated that story, things changed, and Taubman put out that statement that said he was, quote, deeply sorry and embarrassed. In retrospect, I realize my comments were unprofessional and inappropriate. 
My over-exuberance in support of a player has been misinterpreted as a demonstration of a regressive attitude about a social issue, an important social issue, he said. In terms of background, Canadian prosecutors dropped a domestic assault charge in September of 2018 against Asuna, who agreed to stay away from a woman identified by authorities as the mother of his child for one year and continue counseling. The prosecution said the woman who lived in Mexico and made it clear she would not travel to Toronto to testify against Asuna. Asuna was charged with assault in May of 2018, and you may recall that the Jays traded him to Houston two months later. But that situation has a lot of people casting an eye on the Houston Astros management and wondering why it would be that the club, that the organization would some so quickly try and discredit Sports Illustrated when clearly there was something to this story. Not a good look. Just another reason to cheer for the Nationals. I like email. I do. And this one just came in seconds ago. Let me see. What do we got here? Your shows are rotten. Your topics are childlike. Your commentators and announcers are spoiled brats. So this guy likes me. This is what I... (laughs) Uh, Alan.Carter at globalnews.ca if you have anything to say. If you like the program, let me know. But we all know that nobody that has something positive to say takes the time to write it down. That's not the way it works. If if you're upset, then you fire off an angry email. If you think to yourself, man, that's a good show, you think, "Eh, I'm busy. We have some breaking news coming in from the White House where President Donald Trump has now said that Turkey has stopped its combat in northern Syria and has made the ceasefire permanent. And that has now prompted the United States to lift the sanctions that it had recently imposed on Turkish imports in response to the violence. Don't be a fool. Don't be a tough guy. Remember that? That letter from Trump to the president of Turkey? Quote, the sanctions will be lifted unless something happens that we are not happy with, unquote, said Trump in a special address from the White House, where he also cast skepticism about the meaning of permanent in that part of the world. We'll stay on top of that for you on Global News Radio. Other things that are happening south of the border, some technology stuff going on that I find very, very interesting. And Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg is appearing before Congress again to face questions about his company's massive market power, lapses in privacy, and tolerance of speech which is deemed to be false or hateful. Here's a reporter talking about Zuckerberg and how he will try and reassure lawmakers that Facebook should be allowed to go ahead with a new global digital currency called Libra. In written testimony prepared for the hearing, Zuckerberg says Facebook won't launch Libra unless, quote, all U.S. regulators approve it. That's a stronger statement than Facebook executive David Marcus made to Congress in July when he said Facebook would not activate Libra until it has addressed regulatory concerns and received appropriate approvals. Republicans, Democrats, and other top regulators have criticized Facebook's plan for this new currency. They warn it could be used for illicit activities such as money laundering or drug trafficking. 
Google, meanwhile, says it has achieved a breakthrough in something known as quantum computing research, essentially things that are beyond your and my imagination and comprehension, probably. But not everybody believes that Google has actually done this. Here's reporter Matt Small. Researchers with Google say a milestone was reached after an experimental quantum processor completed a calculation in just a few minutes, one that would have taken a traditional supercomputer thousands of years. While other industry researchers are pushing back on the tech giant's claim, results from the study appear today in the scientific journal Nature. Competitor IBM is disputing that Google achieved quantum supremacy, saying Google simply underestimated the conventional supercomputer. Essentially, IBM is saying Google just doesn't get it. Google's not smart enough. You don't have quantum supremacy. Don't be ridiculous. How about a story about a dumb reporter? Everybody loves stories about dumb reporters. Have you heard about what happened to this guy in Sacramento? So it's a morning news reporter on Good Day Sacramento. I'll give you, I'll give you an idea of what this job entails. This is where you're the on-the-spot reporter, and you're doing live hits from all of the things that are happening around town. You know, you go to the bake sales, you go to all you know the different events, and you try and yuck it up because, you know, you're trying to be entertaining. Well, maybe this guy went a little bit too far because he was at a classic car show. He's at this car show. And that's when he decided, well, he was he was going to make some good TV. And what he does is he just climbs on top of a classic 1950s Thunderbird convertible and strikes a pose. And he puts his feet up on the yellow paint job. Here's a bit of a sound of what it sounded like. You know, some of these are off limits, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna live on the wild side. Tell me what you think about this pose right here, Tina. Right. Right here on the Thunderbirds. That is the reporter actually lying on the vehicle. Kind of like Michelle Pfeiffer in the Fabulous Baker Boys. That kind of scene. And... And then he opens a car door and actually dings another car. These are classic car folks. And then, and then there's like a brand new, I think it's a brand new Ford, you know, in the, up on the raised dais. And he decides to go full, full on Dukes of Hazard and jumps up onto the hood of the car and actually dents the hood of the car. Does anybody want to guess what's happened to this reporter? Fired. Gonzo. So, let that be a warning to you. If you happen to be a morning show reporter, Liam Vu from The Morning Show, if you're listening, I'm talking to you. Be careful. Be careful what you do. Because car people do not have senses of humor. They do not. Do not touch the merchandise. Do you think that building a giant statue or a big tourist attraction with public money is a good idea. For example, do you think that the money we spent on that Toronto sign, remember it was supposed to be temporary, the big Toronto light-up sign at Nathan Phillips for the Pan Am Games, and then we decided we liked it so much that we'd sink a whole bunch of cash into it? Think that's a good idea? Well, there's a town in Georgia that is going to spend a lot of money to build something that they believe is going to bring in the tourists. What do they think is going to bring people in? A giant, bushy chicken. That's a joke, boy. You missed it. Went right past you. (laughs) 
The mayor of Fitzgerald tells local news outlets the town is going to build the world's largest chicken topiary, a 62-foot steel-framed chicken with plants growing on it. You see, wild Burmese chickens have long roamed the town of Fitzgerald, and the mayor aims to leverage that reputation to draw in tourists. He said that people want to see chickens, we're going to show them some chickens! So the city is going to spend a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, a hundred and fifty grand, to build a big chicken. Where are they going to build it? At the Kentucky Fried Chicken. I kid you not. And a final story from the world that I just it blew my mind when I saw this one. This one comes from Minneapolis. A message printed on a runner's bib during a recent Minneapolis race turned out to be a bit prophetic. Instead of wearing his name, 25-year-old Tyler Moon opted to have the words, Jesus saves, printed on his running bib. Except for when Moon reached the eighth mile of this race, his heart began to beat irregularly. He collapsed. His heart was not pumping blood. Behind him in the race, a lakeful registered nurse. The nurse dropped down beside Moon, began to perform CPR until paramedics arrived. Moon survived. The nurse's name? Jesus. Spelled exactly like Jesus. Jesus saves. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this hour. There is an incredible story that just actually blows my mind that's come out of the center of Toronto. I don't know if you ever go to the AGO, if you're ever down there in that area of the city. Well, there is a bar down there that's been around for 30 years in the village by the Grange area. That's the area of the city that it's referred to, village by the Grange. It's called the Village Idiot Pub. The Village Idiot. I don't know if you've ever had a cocktail there. It's been that for 30 years, but now it has changed its name. And why? Because it turns out, according to the owner, that having a name like Idiot is not such a good idea. They've had complaints. So as a result, the Village Idiot has now been transformed into the Village Genius. The rebranding includes a new menu with a cover bearing inspirational quotes and decor that features photographs of... Geniuses like Einstein and Tesla, that sort of thing. So the name has changed, but it's still there. Are we at a point now where we can't say idiot? Can I not say that? Is some, are you calling the CRTC right now? Is someone calling broadcast standards? Someone, probably. So we can't say idiot, but we can say genius. Everybody's a genius. And everybody is a genius when it comes to reading reviews. Do you buy uh, things online? Do you check the reviews of things before you actually spend any money? In my house, this is it's obsessive. Uh, m- my wife once actually checked Yelp reviews for a Wendy's. Just, in, you know, I don't know. What are people saying on Yelp about this Wendy's in Kingston? Good service. The frosty was delicious. Could have been colder. I 
who I but people do this. But then what about the reviews themselves? Are they actually truthful? Is that actually some person who's gone to that store or used that product and actually has now reviewed it? Or is something else afoot? Well, the popular skincare brand Sunday Riley has now agreed to settle complaints filed by the Federal Trade Commission in the United States that the company posted fake reviews of its products online. Arti Patel is a global national online journalist and is writing about this today and joins me in studio. Hello. Hello. Do you read the reviews? I love reviews. You love reviews. I love reviews. I don't buy anything unless there's a review. So if there's a product and it has zero reviews, you just move I on. probably won't buy it. You won't buy it? No. So give me the background of this story. Fake reviews of, first of all, Sunday Riley. I'm not getting any of my cosmetics from Sunday Riley. <laughs> I'd never heard of this. So Sunday Riley is a popular skincare brand. Okay. Uh, sold at Sephora, a major retailer here in Canada, North America generally. And this allegation at first came out in 2018. So someone actually went on Reddit. It was a former employee and had accused the CEO of telling employees to write fake reviews. So the Reddit thread went viral as it does got picked up by the ftc turns out that yes the ceo sunday riley was telling their employees to write positive reviews on their products on sephora's website they did this for two full years from 2015 to 2017 and one of the examples was there was a product that had a rating of 4.2 for example out of five Mm -hmm. and the ceo wanted 4.8 so they Give me got four point eight. Four point eight. So sure. they got everybody to write positive reviews, and on on a website like Sephora, you can dislike a review if you don't agree with it. So they were also told to dislike a bunch of negative reviews, making the overall review higher. It, does this surprise anybody that this has happened? I mean, the, the, I, first of all, I'm surprised that there's any regulation that says you can't do that. Why can't you do that? I mean, it leads, leads to false advertising, right? I understand that, but I mean, there's no regulation. I'm surprised to find that there is a regulation for that. Yeah, and I think the other thing is because this is still very, kind of a new category, right? This is the first time in the last few years where really companies are relying on reviews. And studies have even shown that if your product or restaurant has a positive review or a high rating, it's going to boost your sales. So there was even a study done about Yelp reviews, specifically in a restaurant. So each time a restaurant had a star rating that was higher, like a one-star increase, it increased to sales by 5 to 9%. So that that, is, that's, that's incredible. Such, yeah. That's I mean, a, think about but think about the motivation, the, the kind of money that's involved. So, the, I mean, everyone would be motivated to get a better review and do whatever it takes to get that. Exactly. But now what's happening is when you have employees writing reviews and the, write, and the reviews are not reflective of the product, then consumers are complaining about the product. That's when the FTC gets involved. And that's interesting because obviously Sephora is one thing, but Amazon is a different beast altogether. Yeah, and Amazon actually recently was in the news as well for the exact same thing. So a watchdog company had looked at a few of their products that have really, really high reviews on Amazon. And anyone who is an Amazon user, a Prime user, you know, a lot of the shopping is categorized by reviews and by selling rates. So when something sells a lot or has a high review, you go ahead and you click that product. So there were two products particularly, uh, a vacuum cleaner and a pair of headphones that had stellar reviews. So this watchdog company bought the products, tested them out. The products were not good. And, you know, blasted Amazon for 
not regulating their reviews and not looking out for fake reviews. It could just be people are writing fake reviews. And and this obviously, like for Sephora or for Amazon, these stories are very damaging because now that goes to that very basis of trust and goes back to what you were talking about is if something doesn't have a review, you're not going to read it. And now if you don't trust the reviews that it has... Mm -hmm. Is that also going to be an impediment to purchase? Especially when you think of things like beauty brands, like they're not cheap. Like if you're going to buy like an expensive serum, it's going to maybe cost you a hundred bucks. If you're going to spend that money, you want to know if the product works or not. Not to say that every product will work out for you or for your skin, but these people are relying on Sephora to tell them if this product works based on, you know, average everyday people. Man, I got to do more skincare. I don't do it. I don't. You got to get into the skincare routine. I I don't spend any money on this. Nothing. (laughs) Zilch. You're probably saving a lot, a lot of money. Saving, <laughs> yes, and my pores hate me for it. <laughs> Going forward, do you see more regulation in terms of trying to clamp down on this? Is this something that governments are going to really have to do? I mean, I think it's hard because of the vast amount of companies that we have. And if you think about it, a review can be a restaurant, you know, like the Wendy's you were talking about, to a product, to electronics, to a fo- It's everything. Everything that we consume and buy these days has a review. So for an actual regulation to exist, I think, A, is going to be really hard. Um, I think the FTC really looked into this one specifically. Like a lot, like you even said, a lot of people don't know Sunday Riley as a brand. It is a popular brand, but people are not as familiar with it as another big brand. And that's only because the thread of the former employee went viral on Reddit, right? So it caught attention. They could have continued doing this and nobody would have even nobody known. Would have known. Nobody would have known. Arti Patel is a global national online journalist and is filing a story about this whole Sunday Riley fake Sephora reviews. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And if you would like to write me with a review, something nice, it could be even fake. Alan.carter at globalnews.ca. Let me know.